Balton, you're here on my turning point. Where this week, man, really enjoyed this conversation with Harry Connick Jr. on his new album, Alone with My Faith. We go very deep on faith, spirituality, and what that meant to him during the pandemic. So, hope you take as much from this conversation as I did. In uh, Long Beach, California, where it's nice and rainy today, where are you? I'm in Connecticut, so it's actually a nice day. It's it's in the mid to high 40s, which is a Higher than normal. <laughs> That's all right, man. I don't mind the rain here. It's funny. I have both a dog and a cat who love to stay outdoors all the time. So it's like, cool. Good excuse for me to sit in the house in the rain. Yeah, man. I hear you. So, you know, it's uh, good to get to talk to you. It's a, it's a beautiful album. It's an interesting thing, man, because uh, over the last year, I have interviewed hundreds of artists. I have interviewed everyone from... A lot of Kristen artists, Stevie Nicks, Tim McGraw, to Ozzy Osbourne, Alice Cooper. And, you know, one of the really fascinating themes of the past year is how artists have found new sides of their creativity during this time where they really have, you know, had freedom to explore in a different way. Because I think it was Tim was saying, look, usually when you do an album, it's album tour, album tour, and you go through that cycle. So for you, at what point did you start writing this record? At what point did you realize that this record was taking shape for you and that this was what you were feeling? I think it was maybe a couple of weeks after I got home from being on tour. We were on tour. The tour got canceled in mid-March and I came home and, you know, just kind of was wrestling with the same things I think most people were wrestling with. Like, what is happening? You know, are we all going to die? Is this, you know, going to continue? And we were just confused. There was just so much information out there and so little information out there at the same time. Uh, and I guess a couple of weeks into it, um, you know, I, I had my studio at home and I obviously loved to play and I wasn't on the road and we didn't know what was going to happen because everybody was shut down. So I started to write some things and record some things and realized that um, my my faith was really kind of the on switch, it was running. It was working in real time. I found myself, you know, questioning it, depending on it. Um, and I thought it would be um, kind of therapeutic to, to, to sing music, not only for the sake of music, but uh, because of the content of the, the songs themselves. You know, like I needed that type of comfort, whether it was How Great Thou Art or... Um, because he lives, or maybe I needed to write something about personal experience or what I was experiencing right now. So I think it sort of evolved into what it is probably as soon as a couple of weeks after lockdown started. Interesting. Was there a first song that you wrote that that sort of started to take shape or define the theme of the album? Um, it was probably, um, probably a song called Benevolent Man, which was about... Um, wondering if I'm of worth and um, sort of in God's eyes is anything that I do um, substantial 
And, and I just, I had no, like normally when you go in the studio, when I go in the studio, you know, there's some sort of schedule, especially if you're working with, you know, multiple musicians, like, like an orchestra. I mean, you, you know, you, you, it's a real schedule. It's like three hours at a time, you know, or anything over that is, you know, more money. But if you're working with a band or whatever, you know, you set the recording date and you have the, you know, whether it's a week or two or whatever, this wasn't that, you know, I could put down some ideas and then not think about it. And and I don't really work like that. I like kind of working toward a project, toward a deadline. And that there was none of that here, not only musically, but, um, you know, in life. So it was a really cool, a cool way for me to kind of lay foundations for songs and then start to add to them as I thought they needed it. Well, you know, it's a really interesting thing and it's fascinating because, you know, obviously it's a heavy subject matter. I'm curious for you, did you grow up with faith? Has it always been sort of a strong thing in your life or has it, has the role of faith changed for you as you've gotten older? And also in particular during this time of crisis, did you find that faith took on a different meaning for you? It's all three of those things. I grew up with faith. My dad is a Catholic um, from Mobile, Alabama. My mother was a Jewish woman from New York. And we had an interesting household. Uh, My mother didn't really subscribe to any denomination by the time I got to know her. She believed in God. um, But, you know, she also believed in things that were not uh, Christian, things like reincarnation. So, you know, it was it was confusing in the best of ways because I was hearing, um, you know, different perspectives. And although I went to church with my dad, I didn't get baptized in the, in the Catholic church until I was uh, 14 when I decided I wanted to be Catholic. So my faith has always been there. It certainly was developed over time. And then during the pandemic was tested in an unusual way because it wasn't like I was going through a, a particular situation that was unique to me. I was going through something that the entire world was going through. So I, I wondered, you know, a lot, a lot about faith and, and where it was. I mean, because if I was a person who believed that I had faith, where, where was it this particular morning or afternoon? Why was I feeling this way? Why was I feeling so unconfident? or unsure. Or there were other days where I would weep when I did the music, which was something that doesn't happen too much in the context of a studio recording, where you may put yourself in an emotional space, but rarely does it turn out to be sobbing and weeping because of maybe my own inhibitions or my knowledge of the fact that when you cry, you can't sing. So you have to shut the session down <laughs> for a minute. So there was, there was all kinds of tests and unprecedented circumstances as a result of the pandemic. So to answer your question, the faith has always been there, but it's certainly transformed and grown and evolved. Well, so much to go into. This is so fascinating to me, but let's come back to Benevolent Man for a second. It's funny because you say the song was really about finding out were you worthy in the eyes of God, which is a heavy question. So for you, as you started to think about it, you know, a lot of times the point of art is simply to ask the questions, but did you find answers? Were there things that you found as you started to think about it that you're like, okay, that's sort of, because again, I think during this time, 
how you handled this pandemic, you being everyone, shows a great deal about your character and who you are. And it's funny, I've talked about this with hundreds of artists as well. And, you know, hopefully people learn and grow and evolve from this. And of course, you're going to get the occasional, you know, hipster douchebag who's like, oh, no, I still need to get into the right Coachella party. But I think most people, their priorities have really changed in life. So did you get answers from Benevolent Man or was it really to ask the question? It was mainly to ask the question. I think the acknowledgement of the um, desire for an answer is it almost outweighs the answer itself, which is why there is no answer. I think I keep saying, am I a benevolent man? Um, am I an irrelevant man? I do the best that I can. So there is there is real no answer. But I think what's important to me is the, the acknowledgement that that there is growth to be had. So um, I think if I had to answer it right now, no, I don't think I'm irrelevant in the eyes of God, but I do think that I can be better. And, and um, asking the question forces you to contemplate the prospect of an answer, which is what the song was about, you know, to deal with the discomfort of knowing that you might be irrelevant. So whether there's an answer or not, I think the, asking the question was the most important thing. Like I said, a lot of times the point of art is to ask the question. So it's interesting for you as you go back and look at this, and especially because this was such a personal album to you for the songs that you wrote. When you go back and look, because I talk about this with artists all the time too, right? When you're making a record, you're heavily immersed in it. A lot of times good writing is subconscious. You don't even know what it is you're thinking about. So when you go back and look at this album all the way through, are there other questions that emerge from there that kind of surprised you? Um, that's, that's such a great question. Clearly from someone who has spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about things and has figured out a way to ask them. Um, Um, I guess you have to look at the album in its entirety and I have to wonder if I'm in a better place as a result of the process. And I think I am because I don't know if I had, like we referred to earlier, like you referred to earlier, this al this pandemic has, has, has given rise to, to things that probably wouldn't exist had it not been for these circumstances. And I, and I don't think I would have made this record. I wouldn't have written a song called Alone With My Faith because although I have been alone with my faith, I wasn't alone with my faith for a year, like in the studio for 12, 14 hours a day with literally no one there, no recording engineer, no person setting up the mics, no other musicians. So you start to, to, it's like being on a deserted island. You talk to yourself, you ask yourself questions, you laugh to yourself, you speak out loud, at least I do. And I don't think those things would have happened, you know? So I don't know if I answered the question. Yeah, you did. And it's funny because again, it also may still be too close to figure out if there are specific questions that emerge, but yes, in answering the, you know, in talking about whether you're better as a whole from the album, I think that's the question that really comes out of it. That's probably the underlying theme. So it's interesting too. Let's go back to the individual tracks and you mentioned weeping. And it's so funny because when you say, you know, typically you wouldn't weep in it or you wouldn't cry because, you know, I imagine as well, you're in a room full of musicians. It's probably not comfortable to be able to just sit there and start openly sobbing when you're in a room full of musicians. But for you, what were the moments that sort of really hit you emotionally? And were you surprised by any of the moments that you were just like, wow, I'm surprised that this hit me at this level? I wasn't surprised because that's ultimately what any artist searches for is these moments, uh, albeit fleeting, that transcend 
you're transcend things like like there were times when I was singing. So there's a thing called there's like a vocal booth that kind of goes around your head. It's like a big box and it sounds actually very good. It's not a vocal room, but forget what it's called. But the mic's in there. And so it kind of comes down to your shoulders and there's a flap that goes back down over the back of your head to keep the, the sound out. And there were times when I would sing and my, I would raise my arms and the, my shoulders would hit the box and I would hear it in the microphone. And I didn't even realize I was doing that. It was almost as if I was praying as I, as I was singing, because the singing was the last thing on my mind. This happened dur- during um, Old Rugged Cross when when I was thinking, of, I tried to create this, this, this sonic landscape of if you or I were to walk 2,000 years ago and come upon a cross on the horizon and realize what that symbolized in terms of a torture device. And then from a Christian perspective, when Christ was crucified, what that must have felt like to see that cross and how I'll, I'll cling to that cross and I'll exchange it someday for a crown. I found myself physically kind of holding my hands up and, and, and a couple of times I had to stop singing and I would kind of sit down underneath the, the booth, which is on a stand and, and, and say, oh, you know, this is what it's about. This is what it's, this is why I'm doing it. You know, so, uh, yeah, like, like you said, like, I don't know if I would have done that because of the, the social cues, I think, that we, that we may not speak about, but we're subconsciously aware of. I don't think I would do that necessarily in a, in a room full of people in, in that way, where I, re- I literally kind of sat in my chair and wept, you know, and kind of had to wait for my sinuses to clear <laughs> before I could sing it again, you know. Well, you know, what's so interesting about that, it's funny because you say that's the point of art and this is fascinating. I've done this question. I do these rounds. Look, I'm just a music geek, so I'll geek out on these things all the time. So what was the first or what is the song that makes you cry the most? What is that one song that just, and and not necessarily in a bad way or a good way, just that song that just hits you in a way where it's just like, all right, just, you know, you know, I'm talking about where it's like a sucker punch to the gut and you're just like, oh, gets me every time. You mean not my song, just any song? Yeah. Oh, it would have to. I mean, I think about um, Freddie Mercury's piano introduction on Death on Two Legs. I think about that gets me every time. I mean, it's not the song is so not that. It's like <laughs> about their manager and how he was a real sleazeball. But just the way Freddie plays and thinking about who he was. And when Brian May comes in, like I just oh, it just kills me. I love it. Interesting. I would not have guessed that one at all, but it's a great song. And, and, you know, it's funny because also sometimes instrumentation has a way to hit you in a way that vocals oh, yeah. just don't. Absolutely. And, and the way in which it was recorded, like that was some piano that wasn't really in tune. I don't know how they recorded it, but you know, it was, it was okay. You know, and then Brian May comes in with his version of perfection on that guitar. And it's just, you know, it's part nostalgia, part just like, Oh, I just love it. I can't, I can't get enough of it. But speaking of the instrumentation, now you did everything on this album yourself, correct? Yeah. So um, I'm proud of it because there were no, you're a music geek, right? So you know about yeah. soft synths and playing in the box and all that stuff. And none of that was on this album. Every synth, every piece of music that you heard came externally. So yeah, there are a ton of synths on it, but they're all analog synths. They're all instruments that were mic. There's no fake anything. There's no, um, fake 
nothing. It's all like real instruments, you know, from trumpets to synths to saxophones to, you know, bass, guitar, harpeggi, piano, organ, all that stuff. There's no, no MIDI keyboards involved. So it's interesting. I mean, at some point, and it's funny because, you know, going back a year from now or a year ago, you know, when I would talk about people about being able to play stuff live, no one knew how long it was actually going to be. But, you know, fingers crossed, it does seem like we're getting closer to actually being able to play live music again. You're seeing, you know, shows be announced and stuff. So because this album was recorded so different for you, have you thought about songs from it that you would really love to do live or even how you would do it? Because it is so different. Yeah, it is. Um, it would be a little tricky, you know, but but obviously, you know, <laughs> whatever instruments I played would be, be far better performed by people who actually know what they're doing. So uh, I have no doubt that every song on this record could be, you know, performed live. The only exception would be the background tracks. And if I if I needed them on stage, we'd, we'd you know, there are people that do that, <laughs> you know, either, you know, play it. To, I don't like playing the tracks, but if I was really trying to make it sound like the record, there's, there's a gazillion. I'm not worried about it. We can do it. All right. So we're not going to see like the Prince type show where you do the whole thing yourself. Well, I mean, I guess I could, and maybe I will like, you know, it's, it's you know, I've done that. I've been on that row where, you know, I use loopers on stage and play the drums and then I get the bait, you know, and that's all fun. I just, I have no plans to do anything. So I don't know where it's going. Interesting, though. I mean, it's funny because, you know, look, the other thing, too, is that, you know, obviously it's a very personal record, like we talked about. Songs change, though, when they come out in the world, and they especially change when they get played live in front of yeah. audiences. So are there ones that you are particularly curious to see how people respond to them because of, you know, how intimate they are, how, how you know, and I mean, I would imagine this is the type of record, too. It's funny because, look, I, I always use like a Tom Waits analogy, one of my, fa my favorite songwriter of all time, right? Here's a guy who makes the most personal stuff is never going to have a platinum record, but has fans who swear by him. And it's because you put so much of yourself in there. So as you've been getting response to this record, have you seen already that people are really gravitating to it because of the intimacy and because you were so open and honest in it? Yeah. Well, in terms of wondering how they're going to be received, I, I, that's the last thing on my mind. I mean, I, I don't look at concerts like that because they're always not that planned. And so I just go out and play and see where it goes. But uh, yes, I have found that. In fact, I was just talking to, to uh, about that to my friends before we started talking about how there's a, 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 a communal sense of um, experience here. It's almost like, you know, I don't want to undermine the, the severity of war, but I feel like we have our own quote unquote war stories. And I think everybody can relate to that. Um, and, and I've been seeing that in the in the uh, in the interviews. People are responding to it in ways that are other than well, you know, the band sounds great or, you know, we like this song or that song. It's like they're genuinely interested in how this music helped get me through this time and maybe how it could help them. So that's that's new and, and that's that's pretty exciting. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, another thing, too, is that, look, I've talked about this with a lot of artists as well Is you know, during this time where you've had opportunity to change and grow and evolve as an artist. I think for most people, they feel like it's going to stick with them going forward. And when they can get back to the quote unquote normal in air quotes, you know, whatever that is, the two will become a hybrid. So do you see yourself then continuing to explore these themes more going forward? And do you think that you'll be able to incorporate the two together? So maybe you can make an album like this with, you know, a whole group of musicians or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I mean, as artistic and creative as I would hope to be or as I think I might be, 
um, you can't deny the fact that circumstances have arisen from this time that would not have arisen. So the idea of using the things I've learned during this time in a collaborative situation or doing another record all by myself, the, these are things that are real possibilities now as a result of where we are. So it's such a great question. I, I think all of us are going to move forward having had um, um, an experience that's changed us, hopefully positively, artistically. And, uh, and I look forward to, to seeing where those lessons will take me. I'll make these last couple of questions, but one, take me through too, because another thing that's interesting about writing, right? You're, you're doing this album, you're writing these songs that are so personal and so intimate to you. So then when you start to include songs like Amazing Grace and covers, you need to figure out, obviously there needs to be like, the storyline needs to work together. There needs to be a theme through there. So take me through the songs that you chose to include and sort of how you put together a record that worked as a whole with songs, both originals and covers. You know, well, basically no, I didn't, what, I didn't even think about it. I, I actually just sang songs as they popped into my head and I wasn't successful because I did about 19 songs and I gave them to the record label because this is where they come in. I didn't care which ones they picked. And they were like five or six with like these make no sense. So <laughs> I just picked tunes that, I, you know, they, they're the ones who made it sound like a record because the, the other six that were on there are pretty, pretty strange. Um, who knows if they'll ever see the light of, of day. But I didn't I didn't think of it in terms of an album. I just thought of it in terms of the, 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 the one theme that goes through it is one of faith um, and all all uh, interpretations of that. Um, and I didn't really think of how is this going to make an album. Um, I'm, I'm oversimplifying a little bit uh, because, you know, there is an art to picking the right song order and all that stuff. But um, I didn't really I didn't really think much about that as I was doing it. You know, and this may be for it's funny because obviously we're wrapping up a half hour interview, but this fascinates me. So this may be way too heavy a question for this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What did faith mean to you before this record and after making this record and writing about it and exploring it? Has your definition of faith changed? I think my definition of faith is a gift that was given to me by God to compel me to want to communicate with God. And my definition of faith hasn't changed, but how I've come to see it has been stretched as a result of this, because this has been an experience that's allowed me to empathize with folks who are going through the exact same thing. So I've had to talk about my faith in the context of someone else's faith or lack thereof about a shared experience. I've never had that. I've had personal tragedy. I've had ups and downs where my faith has, you know, gone up and down, but I've never had a situation where I can talk to somebody else about how somebody else about how their faith got them through compared to how my faith got me through. So in the, in my definition hasn't changed, but my, my experience has broadened. All right, last question. But again, this stuff is just so fascinating to me. And it's, you know, I love records that really go deep and that actually think, you know? And so it's interesting for you when you, you know, are there songs, I asked you about songs that make you cry, but when, and especially when it came time to making, you know, choosing the songs to cover and everything, are there songs to you that really sort of intelligently and really passionately speak about faith. And, but are there artists, you know, that you would really love to work with who speak about this well, who are interesting. And, you know, and again, you look at someone like uh, Amy Grant, who I've interviewed, but then you also look at people who, you know, look at it a very different way. I mean, so are there songs to you that particularly speak about well or artists that you would really love to on this subject matter? 
the song list is probably really long. I'm just drawing a blank in terms of artists. Like I, I like I like talking to people about and, and collaborating with people about all kinds of things. So if, if if there were a great, you know, Buddhist musician who wanted to collaborate and and with me about faith, I, I think that would be amazing. Or there's, I mean, like Christian faith, there's gospel singers that are so infinitely talented, like Kim Burrell. Um, I would love to collaborate with them. And I have, um, but yeah, like I, I don't really have a list of people that I would like to collaborate with only because my life lends itself to a lot of new experiences that kind of come out of nowhere. So, I mean, I, you name them, I, I'd like to collaborate with them. All right. And there's not one song. It's funny because I know also when on the spot, sometimes it's really difficult because like I said, I just geek out on this stuff. So is there one song that kind of comes to mind for you? Or like you say, the list is just too long. That's about faith. Yeah. Or, or again, that sort of, it doesn't necessarily have to be about faith. It could be about spirituality or that just to you really speaks to the topic that you looked at maybe as like, okay. And it's funny because another thing about it too, honestly, right. It's funny what you say about some songs didn't fit the record. And I've talked about this with so many artists. And like Brian Ferry from Roxy Music, right? I interviewed him when he was doing a cover, a Dylan cover album. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I may love just like a woman. He's like, but that doesn't mean I can sing it, you know? So he may try and do it, but it didn't work. So maybe there were songs for you that were particularly interesting, but it, when it came time to do it, it didn't fit the record or whatever. Yeah, the, I mean, it's not, it's, it's usually not the songs themselves as much as the performances that speak to me like that. I mean, you take a song like, Amazing Grace. It's it's not Amazing Grace as much as it, it is maybe a, a version that I've heard, um, or it could be the song. It's just too. That's I I I haven't. I don't know that, because there's my mind is flooded with. You know, I was just thinking of that other Queen song, the Prophet song about you know the spirituality of that. You know, and who's that about? And I mean, I mean, there's a million of them, but I can't I can't think of any. All good, man. Is there anything that you want to add we did not talk about? Man, I just want to say thanks. You know, it's it's unusual I get to talk to somebody like you with your expertise and perspective. So thank you for, you know, doing the homework and, and making this really interesting and fun for me. No, it's best, like I say, because again, I mean, the point of art is to ask questions and to think and, you know, so, and like I say, it's been fascinating to talk to so many people during this time because, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see. It's funny what you say too about, you know, you're not sure if those songs will ever see the light of day. I remember joking with someone, I do not remember who it was in the hundreds of interviews at the beginning of this, that there would be the pandemic box sets. And I think there's going to be a lot of, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of unreleased material to come out of this. So maybe someday there will be, you know, the bonus edition with all these extra songs. I wouldn't doubt it. That's a great idea. <laughs> all right, cool. Thank you so much, man. Good talking with you. Congratulations on the record. Thanks. Hopefully Thank we'll you, see man. you back in LA soon. I hope so. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening. Special guest Harry Connick Jr. Thank you. He will be my shield and portion as long as life Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because our Sleep Number 360 smart bed is really smart. It senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable. 
Plus, it's temperature balancing so you stay cool. It's even smart enough to know exactly how long, how well, and when you slept. And to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night. Sleep Number takes care of the science. All you have to do is sleep. And now, during our Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed Queen now only $19.99. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 